Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally a polder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So, Connor, uh, today is uh, Monday, the 26th of October, so we have eight days to the eight, election. Eight days left. The countdown is beginning here. Uh, we're going to talk about a few things. First, the election litigation. Shall we let the long national nightmare begin? Yeah. It's almost like countdown are, to the beginning yeah, of the countdown. People are expecting another Bush versus Gore uh, court fight that yeah. will maybe go up to the Supreme Court, which, of course, by then is going to be 6-3 conservative. But um, be that as it may, we're also going to talk about Amy. Coney Barrett being on track. Uh, did Diane Feinstein have a Joe Biden moment uh, when she was kind of favorable toward mm-hmm. the whole process? We'll no, look. I'll talk about why that's exactly par for the course. Okay. And of course, the final debate. Uh, did Trump lose his mind when he said mm, possibly Lincoln did more for blacks than Trump, but only possibly? Only possibly. We'll yeah. get to that as well. Before we do that, of course, uh, we are hip deep in the World Series. Those oh yeah, of us here in the Go Los Dodgers. Angeles area are delighted. I saw the the strangest thing in I think it was the first game of the World Series, Connor. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody hit a long fly ball that was just foul by the right field foul pole, and a fan with his glove. He's sitting there and he catches a really nice catch. Nice, good job. Yeah, and of course the the camera lingers on him and he's high fiving his friends and so on. All of a sudden, while the camera's lingering on him. <clears throat> he turns his back to home plate, and so you get this really big view of what's printed on the back of his T-shirt. And it said, nice swing, bitch. <laughs> now, you tell me, Connor, you're a millennial, you know everything. What, what kind of person wa- walks around the earth, much less a World Series game, with uh, a T-shirt that says, nice swing, bitch, the, on the, the board? What does that even mean? That no one knows. The kind, the kind of person uh, who makes a spectacular catch... And plans this out. I want to be this guy's best friend. I probably wouldn't, you know, uh, advise you to invite him to your wedding. Uh, he might make a custom T-shirt, which would be a nightmare. But he would be a, an entertaining guest one way or another. We were talking about this off the air, and you were suggesting that that he had it all planned out. Oh, when yeah. he caught the ball, nobody makes that he, shirt. He, he purposefully turned his back so that <laughs> to the, the camera, yeah. presumably the camera. But is he really that quick a thinker? A, a guy who put that T-shirt on his back is he going to be smart enough to say to himself in question. the middle of no. this excitement? Okay, I've just caught this big catch. Uh, the TV cameras are probably on. Me. Uh-huh, oh, yes, uh-huh, yeah. I have an interesting T-shirt I'm going to turn out. I don't think so. I think it was all like Jeff Goldblum randomness from yeah. uh, whatever that— uh, Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park, yeah. yeah. Well, it was pretty random when that fly got into his uh, chamber. But That's all true. right, uh, this guy, uh, he should uh, he probably should be incarcerated. Uh, <laughs> we may have a carceral state, but he, there's a place for him. Now. There's a place, a special place in hell for somebody who uses the B word yep. on the TV. So let's talk about election litigation. Uh, oh a lot boy. of people, Connor, think that it's going to be a blowout, that Trump is going to go yes. down big time. And yes. no matter how much he huffs and he puffs yes. about uh, you know the, the, the fraud, voter fraud, and so on, it doesn't matter. And when you think about it, I, I think that's probably pretty correct. A state or a state or two that could swing the election, 
where it's pretty close in that state or mm-hmm. states, mm-hmm. okay, I can see major heartburn-inducing litigation would be launched to right. decide the winner. Right. Shades of Bush versus Gore yeah. back in 2000, yeah. where it all came down to Florida. Everything was settled except Florida. And it was super close in Florida. The networks are going back and forth at 11 o'clock, midnight, one Bush won, Gore won. No, we don't know. And, of course, we didn't know for a month. But, I mean, don't you think it's kind of unlikely? Aren't we lathering ourselves up into a frenzy over a pretty unlikely event? I don't think so. Because I think that this election, unlike uh, 2000, where uh, Bush and Gore went head-to-head in Florida specifically, and that's where all the controversy was, the— uh, state GOP, state parties, uh, state conservative parties, and Donald Trump. This is sort of coordinated from the top. Donald Trump. The message has been that voter fraud and mail-in ballot fraud, especially, is going to make the uh, the results of our elections in many states at once uh, untrustworthy. And that is a recipe for a replay of the disputed election of 1876. This is the Rutherford B. Hayes. Before the, elect- before the episode, by the way, I said, hey, let's talk about 1876. And you said, oh, the disputed election between uh, Tilden Til- and Hayes. Tilden and Hayes, of course. And of I course. Was, Everybody knows that. I'm offended that that just <laughs> rolls off the tongue. Yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> Misspent youth. Uh, <laughs> so 1876 is probably one of our best examples for how things can go very, very badly, okay. right? This is Reconstruction era, post Civil War um, election. We've got uh, Rutherford B. Hayes um, versus uh, Tilden, and Tilden eventually ends up losing, and Hayes ends up getting the presidency. But they do it through what becomes known as the Compromise of 1877, which is essentially a political bargaining process by which the uh, the two sides say, okay, you get the presidency, but you have to pull federal troops out of the South and stop the process that was, you know, had already become known as Reconstruction after the Civil War because the South wanted to, to run its own business and not have the federal government with its troops uh, in their territory anymore. This is basically post-Civil War stuff. This is not at all an outcome based on who cast what ballots in right. what states. And the way that they got there was they had in multiple states at once, especially North Carolina, where they had 101% of the population voting that year, and then in a bunch <laughs> of other places where Republicans— That's a civic-minded state. Yeah, very, very focused on politics. Andy of Mayberry voted twice. <laughs> This is this is a lot of this is a, 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 a an election where there were a ton of people, uh, Republican voters, uh, who were threatened with violence um, uh, at you know the idea of voting. Plus, there were uh, state uh, pol- uh, political parties that were printing the ballots. Back then, the state political parties printed the ballots, and the way that they. Uh, uh, the way they did that to accommodate the fact that many voters were illiterate was they put symbols, not words, but symbols on the ballot. But m- in, in many places, uh, the Lincoln symbol r- representing one party had been put on the wrong uh, next to the wrong candidate, meaning that a whole bunch of people who thought that they were voting for the Republican had actually voted for the Democrat. So there was there was election fraud happening with 101 percent of the reported vote. There was voter intimidation happening in the South in Georgia, where Republicans uh, Republicans were intimidated uh, away from being able to vote. Uh, then there were misprints of ballots and bad procedures and sta- uh, state parties so I, uh, behaving I, badly. This is a m- nightmare so There's a precedent. A yeah. lot of bad things can happen. And what happened was 
the parties, uh, the, the, they, they formed an election commission in the Senate and the, and the House, mm-hmm. and together, they got together and said, okay, what do we have to do and to ensure a deal, peaceful right? transfer power? Yeah, the yeah, deal well, Mitch is— Mitch McConnell and Nancy will have no problem cutting the deal. Right. Horrifyingly, they cut a deal that yeah. said, look, obviously no one here actually cares about who voted for who. That's just so far from who, anything that would ever be relevant or, or uh, that we would ever care about in any way, because who, democracy? Is that a joke? We are—this is America. This is about policy, uh, you know, horse trading power back and forth. This is not about policy. This is not about democracy. This is not about voting. And that is absolutely on the table for a rerun this year because there are enough state GOP officials out there who are so short-sighted and so dumb and so desperate to hold on to power that they will do anything to put Trump back in the White House. Anything could happen. Let me tell you why I'm, I'm optimistic. Okay. Uh, first of all, uh, everybody's going to be unhappy. Whoever the losers are, they're going to be super unhappy. Yeah. There are not going to be any pitchforks and uh, and torches, because okay. if there are, then the cops are going to swoop in and take care of it, no matter who the sore losers are. Instead, there are going to be lawsuits. Now, earlier this year, over the last several months, the Republicans have filed almost 100 lawsuits, and they've had essentially no success. What happens is you uh, you get all puffed up about the fact that there's a voter fraud and there are abuses and this mail-in thing is wrong and it's fake news and so on. And you go to court and they slam the door in your face because a judge has to be convinced that there's really something before they're going to allow a lawsuit to go forward and mess things up and right. gum up the works. Right. So there, there are very few precedents for the Republicans having any success. So what's going to happen is that there's probably going to be a very clear victory by one side, yes. not to be, you know— Nostradamus here, uh, in which case it's going to be impossible to present multiple credible lawsuits to judges around the country to say, oh, this was cheating in Montana, this is cheating in Alabama, and so on. It's just almost inconceivable. Now, if things are super close, I can see how it could get really dicey. But you know, it's so unlikely that there's going to be super, it's going to be super close. And again, you know, the judges at every level are, are going to have to say yes or no on this. Now, you say, being a pessimist, the top of the pyramid is the Supreme Court. And by then, Amy Coney Barrett will be on the job. It'll be five to four or six to three Republicans that just hand it over to them just like they did in 2000. Yeah. Ain't going to happen. In 2000, it was a really messy, esoteric issue about equal protection and so on and the counts and the recounts. In this kind of situation, there's very likely going to be a very strong consensus in America as to who won and who lost. And the people who know who won and who lost are going to see this tsunami of litigation in all sorts of county court courthouses and federal district courts and so on. And they're going to be really unhappy that the sore losers are trying to steal the election through the courts. And when it gets up to Chief Justice John Roberts court, the last thing he wants and the entire court, I think, is to be known as a court that spit in the eye of the clear view of the public as to who should be president. You talk about pitchforks and torches. That's when, you know, the Supreme Court, as they famously say, they don't have an army. They just have their credibility. That's so true. that's why, I mean, and they protect it at all costs. They're going to be all sorts of suits over the mail-in ballot deadlines and voter fraud and, and access to the voter rolls and, and access to the polls and a and hundred other topics. But yeah. I just call me a cockeyed optimist. But, I, you know, this is a political process. I mean, I hope you're right. I think I think that's a I think that's a, a totally reasonable position to take, and it, it is in a way it does come down to pessimism versus optimism. And I can absolutely see that your side of the of the 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 the, the version of, of the future where the uh, 
the Lindsey Grahams and the Mitt Romneys and the Ted Cruz's of the world who all want the Republican Party to maintain its legitimacy so that they can have political power again in four short years when Joe Biden says, I'm not running for another term. Um, and, you know, he, you, you have to run Mitt or Ted or whoever against Kamala. Right. That is a position that the Republicans would love to be sitting on a, 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 a sort of in, in a position where they said, look, our Supreme Court of uh, with Amy Coney Barrett as a crowning jewel uh, handed Joe Biden the election. We basically you basically owe us that. And because we've got a bunch of career politicians like Dianne Feinstein in in positions of power still, uh, they're going to respect things like, well, we I guess we owe them this time because they don't actually care about progressive change. They don't actually care. They just want to hand you know horse trade power back and forth uh, to maintain it forever. When we come back, we're going to find out what part of Hillary Clinton's body she expects to be really, really bad off if Donald Trump wins. You're just not going to believe this, Connor. I, you Stick can't w- see my face, but no. I'm very confused. And you can't see Connor's face, but you're now going to hear Connor's voice because he's going to tell you how to rate and subscribe <laughs> us. That's a good, excellent segue. Well done. Yes, please uh, go on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Leave us a five-star re- uh, review as, as well as a little uh, comment. Assuming we deserve it, it, right? I mean, yes, yeah. assuming we deserve it. I listen to a ton of podcasts that I hate. Uh, No, Uh, no, we're great. And uh, we deserve it for sure. Um, Or if you don't use Apple, um, because you're a freak like me, uh, then use, you know, Stitcher or Spotify or whatever else and uh, leave us a review on there. You know, we really appreciate it. It just it brightens up our day. Is it going to change our lives? No. Yep. yep, yep. Oh, it is. Oh, okay, cool. But I, I like I like reading them. So that's really what it's all about. Stick with us on Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Laura Lowe. And I'm still Connor Lewis. So I promised Connor to reveal the portion of yeah, Hillary what? Clinton's Why are we body. talking about Hillary? Well, it's because she's all over social media. She says, uh, if Donald Trump were to win, she's speculating about this. Uh-huh. She's giving an interview. And she said, quote, it makes me literally sick to my stomach that w- to think that we'd have four more years of this abuse and destruction of our institutions. So uh-huh. I, I believe I've revealed the portion of her anatomy. So she's going to be sick to her stomach. Right. Um, I think instead of lock her up, the chant will be, send her to the infirmary. Send yeah, her to the infirmary. That's a nice, warm, friendly, like, we care about people's health care uh, chant. And yeah, I like yeah, that not, better. Not Obamacare for infirmary, but just, yeah. you know, pre... And if she's got a pre-existing condition of being yeah, sick to her stomach, yeah, like yeah, yeah. when, you know, build it all that terrible stuff, then I guess we turn her down for yeah. coverage. I mean, this... You, you know, were saying before conditions. we started, Connor, uh-huh. that this election, according to surveys, is super stressful. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's amazing to me. To, I mean, I know people get worked up over politics, and, and Trump is such a polarizing figure. But, I mean, you know, there's also stuff like, you know, putting the kids through college and, and making their next rent check. And so, I mean, whoever is in the White House, is is that real? That, does that really justify yeah, the stress I, level? I think it really does. For so many people out there, they're in a position where— the person in the White House and the people in Congress, specifically in the Senate, because the Senate is so much more powerful than the House, they determine whether you can make your next rent check because they're the ones saying whether we need another COVID stimulus, uh, you know, check to the people. Do we need another twelve hundred dollars? Well, have we have we used have we survived the last eight months on twelve hundred dollars? No, I don't think that really was enough. I think that really, if, if you're actually going to you know make a difference in people's lives, uh, you need to send them actual. Uh, actual stimulus and, and help replace the salaries that they lost because from all the people, the millions of people who've been laid off as a result of this. I mean, we need to take this really, really seriously. I Personally, my attitude is the only explanation for the complete dereliction of duty of the uh, Republicans in Congress to uh, 
to to not pass a stimulus bill that they could have passed with the Democrats by being generous. And the Democrats would have done it because the Democrats always do that. The Democrats don't make these naked political power plays where they're going to, you know, hang people out to dry for two, two extra months just so that the stimulus comes from somebody else. They know that the stimulus from Joe Biden's stimulus isn't going to happen until after January. And that's way, way, way too late. Don't you so, think both sides uh, behave uh, in their own political self-interest with respect to the substance and the timing of a stimulus bill? I think many, many times they do uh, engage in, uh, act in their own self-interest. I think in this specific scenario, Republicans are staring at the gigantic hourglass uh, on the on the Capitol steps, and they're watching Don't every. The Democrats single, know the hourglass is there too. The, 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 Aren't the Democrats staring, making a decision based on looking at the hourglass as to what they insist on, use their bargaining power now as opposed to after the election? Yes, of course. But what's the motivation for making that decision? The Republicans are 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 are. are abdicating their duty to actually do anything because their attitude is, oh, please, 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 as soon as these these grains of sand tumble downwards, suddenly this will become Joe Biden's problem. That is their motivating. It's the only explanation, because if they had actually cared about winning this election and putting Donald Trump back in office, then they would have passed a stimulus and sent everybody a series of four checks a month that all say Donald J. Trump on them. But they didn't do that. They did it one time. It didn't change the needle that move the needle that much. They realized Trump is a sinking ship and they're jumping from it. And that is why I think your optimistic uh, perspective on if they won't try to steal the election is not an unreasonable one, because if they actually wanted to steal the election, and then they would have you know given it a, a, a better shot and stopped fleeing from the sinking ship that is Trump so that the election would be closer instead of the blowout that it probably will be. Let's talk about Amy Coney Barrett. Boy, uh, record time. I don't know if it literally is a record in terms of the number of days between nomination yeah. and approval. Mm-hmm. You, you think it, it, it is? is? Yeah. One by a couple of, a couple of days? I, mean, I don't know how big a, a, a difference it is. have to have been some pretty quick ones in our uh, legal history. The actual length of the confirmation hearings itself, I don't know, was that No, I'm talking about the number of days yeah, from the nomination of days to confirmation. Is, it was huge. I mean, normally uh, the, the, the senators... Um, on the Judiciary Committee who are going to question um, the the uh, potential uh, justice have somewhere between 30 days and three months to come up with the material they need and, and get the, the draft the questions. So this and is set super fast. And it's instead, like, it's like a two weeks or something. Kind of a runaway train here. Yeah. And, and I thought it was interesting that Senator Dianne Feinstein showed a, a, a great moment of, uh, of really equanimity. And she's turning her back on our era of polarization when she complimented Senator, Senator Lindsey Graham on the final leadership. And uh, mm-hmm. were you a little shocked by her comments? Yeah, of course. Senator? I mean, she has one job, and that job is make the Republicans pay a political price for this nakedly political power grab that they have committed. And she has failed utterly to do that by legitimizing the process, by saying, oh, great job, Lindsay. Fantastic hearings. The best hearings I've ever seen, uh, Lindsay. Would you like a back rub? Please come over here. We're best friends. The, the, they don't have the votes to stop Amy, right? Like, I, I get it. I, they don't have the numbers. What are they going to do? Well, what they're going to do is get up in America's face and say, this is an injustice. This is wrong. They are packing the court uh, in so what's unfair, your explanation for why Dianne Feinstein did this? She's, she's a, a dinosaur. Loyal, she's a loyal Democrat. She's a complete dinosaur who doesn't understand. These people are obsessed. She was pretty cranky during the Kavanaugh and Gorsuch hearings. They're obsessed with kissing each other's asses about how important and fantastic and cool they are to be in the uh, U.S. Senate. Remember, she's and the one that, that pulled that report about the sex allegation against Kavanaugh uh, out of nowhere. She kind of sat on it for a while. It was right. very strategic. So right. why would she suddenly be... Uh, 
fall back on the old, oh, you know, the Senate is this wonderful club and we all respect each other. She's always constantly falling back on that. Note that Kavanaugh got on the court just fine. She's pulling, you know, she's pulling these political maneuvers, but they're not actually doing anything because she's not actually, her heart's not in these things. Does she actually care about keeping uh, Amy Coney Barrett off the court? No, she has no interest in actually keeping Amy Coney Barrett off the court or holding the Republicans accountable for what they did to Merrick Garland and what they're doing to the court and to the American people. Because her attitude is, I've been a senator for a really long time. Everything kind of works out. As long as the Democrats are, are, you know, it will have our turn in the majority. We'll have our turn in the sun and then we'll pass a bunch of stuff and it'll be fine. But when you are witnessing uh, a Mitch McConnell who abuses, so abuses the process that we will not be able to come back from what he has done to the federal judiciary, not just the Supreme Court, but the entire judiciary for decades, decades. You you cannot operate under the uh, the assumption that, well, we'll just get our, our, our uh, day in the sun. And once we have the Senate back in a couple of months with Joe Biden as president, then, you know, we'll 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 do some stuff and, and we'll protect Roe v. Wade that you can't protect Roe v. Wade without the Supreme Court, period. You just can't do it. So, I mean, I think I think uh, it's just this complete uh, uh, position of privilege. You sit in your in your ivory tower of the U.S. Senate and you feel invincible, invincible. You feel uh, like nothing can really go wrong. You don't understand the suffering of the American people on the ground uh, and what they put you in that seat to do. And that was, in this case, to make the Republicans pay a political price. And she totally threw that away. So when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about what a Supreme Court uh, contribution might look like from Amy Coney Barrett, assuming she is, as, as people seem to think, and I think as she is pretty much acknowledged, an originalist. Good idea, bad idea, neutral. We'll talk about it when we come back on to many lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. I'm still Connor Oaks. So, Connor, uh, Lawrence Solom is a professor of uh, law uh, who's written a lot on originalism, pretty highly respected uh, sort of uh, legal philosophy guy. Uh, on one side of the aisle. Yeah, not everybody agrees with him, but but he's, he's, he's done a lot of thinking about it. So let me lay out what he says is kind of the case for originalism and, uh-huh. and tell me what, what kind of problems uh, uh, progressives yeah. might have with it. He says that originalists believe judges are bound by the Constitution text and its words should be read as the public would have understood them at the time each provision was written. Uh, one worry is that originalists will overrule modern decisions that uh, a lot of Americans hold dear, like Brown versus Board of Education, the landmark uh, case that struck down racial segregation. His point is originalism not only supports the ruling in Brown, an originalist Supreme Court would have never propagated the separate but equal doctrine in the first place. He notes the Brown decision was necessary because in 1896, the Supreme Court had nullified the privileges or immunities clause of the 14th Amendment, which made it unconstitutional for the states to deny basic rights to any citizen. Had the court in Plessy versus Ferguson given that clause its original meaning, it would have struck down a Jim Crow law and never would have created the pernicious doctrine of separate but equal. He also says another worry is the false assumption that originalists want the world to stay the way it was in 1787. Is mm-hmm. the Second Amendment restricted to muskets? He says no, because arms include all weapons that can be carried, including modern rifles and flamethrowers and nuclear weapons and tanks. Yeah. Would the Fourth Amendment Amendment, uh, ban on unreasonable searches? Let the government send in drones and robots to search your home, which I don't believe even Benjamin Franklin anticipated drones and robots. No, he says the word search includes robot searches and drones and other kinds of searches. So 
If Amy Coney Barrett sticks with this Lawrence Solom originalist model, is that really such a bad thing? Yeah, absolutely. For exactly the reasons you just described. This is... Dang, uh, I knew I shouldn't have given those reasons. Yeah, it was a huge mistake. Yeah, okay. Look, originalism is... Uh, it, it is it is undercut by its own premise. The premise being, well, that uh, the document should be interpreted not as a living document, but as uh, as as a just as it was to, you know in intended when the framers wrote it. Mm -hmm. um, but that, of course, is undercut by the writings of the framers and founders themselves who said it has to be a living document who created an amendment procedure who then slapped 10 amendments on the end of it immediately because they knew that this was supposed to be a living document that's mm -hmm. supposed to grow and change because we all know that our country obviously has to grow and change and so the idea of going back to the original intent of the founder is not not it is not only impractical and impossible as I'll get to in just a second but it is it is simply not the intent of the framers that they do that. So if you're going to be an originalist and say, what, well, we, we read what the intent of the framers uh, is out of the laws in the Constitution, then why not read into the intent of the framers who intended this document not to be, you know, interpreted in that way? You're, you're basically saying, uh, I'm going to uh, spit in the eye of the founding fathers in order to interpret how the founding fathers would want us to uh, uh interpret their laws. That's just a silly way to do it. And then, of course, you have, after that, the impractical, ridiculous nature of, uh, of, of yanking us back hundreds of years into the past um, and trying to justify, trying to say, well, um, what, well what, when it says, you know, uh, uh, the, the, yeah, the Second Amendment only applies to, to, to muskets, obviously the Second Amendment doesn't apply to muskets because muskets don't exist anymore. Now we've oh, got— I think they're in the Smithsonian. That's a good point. But— when you go back and you say, well, what would the founders have wanted us to do with a more powerful weapon like a nuclear weapon or a laser or sarin gas or a bazooka or a tank or whatever else? Suddenly you, of course, break the system that you've set up because it's impossible to maintain what would the founders uh, what did the founders intend with this law if they never intended anything to do with tanks and musk uh, tanks and, and bazookas. They they had no there was no intent to regulate sarin gas. There was no intent to regulate nuclear weapons. So what are we even talking about in trying to apply the second amendment to that? The answer is we are adding our own current perspective, our own current values and we're saying these uh, these guns are too dangerous, these guns are safe. You can have them in this scenario, but not in this scenario. You have to have a small capacity magazine because what the heck do you need a large capacity magazine for except shooting up a school? That that, that is our own judgment that we're applying. And anybody who says, well, I'm an originalist and I just go back to what the text says, it, it, they're, they're fooling themselves and trying to fool you that they think that they have some secret password answer to what the, the founders thought and felt, which they don't have, that allows them to understand how the law should be interpreted. You know what I think? I think uh, you and Professor Solom need to have a beer summit where you sit down and work this out and, and try How about to I just drink a bunch of beers on my own <laughs> and then I send them a bunch of angry tweets? <laughs> so my normal process, and it's worked out great. So Connor was in the 1700s uh, for a minute or two there. I want to move to the 1800s to talk about the great emancipator Abraham Lincoln. And the reason I, I refer to him by that wonderful uh, moniker that he had was because of the last Trump-Biden debate, which was, what a relief, that mute button. I was really sweating. Yeah, it worked out great. It really did work out great because it, it was just so much 
uh, more substantive and useful to the public as opposed to people yelling at each other. I mean, they basically kind of played by the rules. So we heard two minutes of Joe and two minutes of the, of McDonald. To that's a spoiler alert for the Borat movie. Yeah. Uh, so I thought that was I was kind of neat. Yeah. Both did fine. Biden absolutely proved he's not demented, so he's put that to rest. But pro- Trump proved that uh, he really uh, was kind of off. Uh, off when he compared himself to Abe Lincoln because he was asked, well, you know, you've helped, you claim you've helped the black community, and he talked about the super low, uh, historically low uh, unemployment rates, and then he came out with it. He said, with the exception, with the possible exception of Abraham Lincoln, nobody's done more for the black community than me. And I'm thinking to myself, really? Yeah. Uh, really? He Donald? also said, I'm the you least know racist person in the whole world. Lincoln room. insisted that the whole nation be plunged into a civil war to stop slavery. Right. And he issued the Emancipation right. Proclamation. And I mean, these people are completely tone deaf. They just don't have any idea how the words that they say that come out of their mouth are going to be heard by anybody who isn't them, right? Trump is only talking to one person, and that one person is Melania himself. Oh, He's talking to wrong. some rich, white, angry dude, and everything else that he says to a, uh, to you know to appeal to the rest of his voter base because he doesn't even try to appeal to other people's voter bases is to sort of filter it through that. That and, and strain out the other end, there comes some version of, well, uh, okay, well, I, I am generically afraid of minorities and therefore I'll p- appeal to uh, suburban women by appealing to their fear of minorities and I'll protect the suburbs and that'll be my message for suburban women. And, and, but it all comes out of this filter of I'm Donald Trump and the, I'm the only person I know. I, I, the only person I know and can understand. I have no empathy for other people. So when he hires people like Jared Kushner, who then go out and say, just about as bad as what Trump said, if not worse, frankly, than what Trump said. Kushner this week said that uh, President Trump basically here, I'll read. I'll just read the quote. Uh, uh, one thing we've seen a lot in the black community is that President Trump's policies are the policies that can help people break out of the problems that they're complaining about. Oh, yeah. OK, so that's the good way to phrase it. The, these are the problems. Did the he black say those people? No, he said they're okay. complaining okay. about. And then he said, but he can't want them, black people, to be successful more than they want to be successful. Okay, Kushner, I didn't realize that black people just didn't want to be successful in America. I, I, that's really the issue, is that they just didn't want it enough. There's no structural problems. There's no racism. There's no one out there not giving them jobs or hating them for the color of their skin. There's no perpetual cycle of, uh, of, of poverty and unemployment that is handed down from father to son because of the way that this country was founded on the backs of slaves who have still, you know, lived in that cycle of poverty while others are handed down inheritances. That's not the case. That's not what's holding them back. They didn't want it enough. And this is the same thing that Trump says at the debate. It's completely tone deaf. It's completely ridiculous that I have done so much for these people. And it's like, it's like he has no idea how to appeal to somebody to, to actually change their mind because he's never even had to. So, he's only had to appeal to people who already loved him because they watched him so on the So what you're saying is that with eight days of substantive campaigning left, you've already made up your mind you're going to vote against Donald Trump. Yeah, I already uh, did vote, but um, uh, fortunately, uh, and everybody out there should should go vote too. Actually, you know, go in person. Don't, uh, don't, so uh, for, for our, be safe, be safe, but so don't, our, uh, don't mail your ballot in this, at this point, it's too late. So for our last official act, uh, a, a review, uh, just a, a number on Borat, Connor and I have both seen the Borat movie, yep, uh, yep, yep. zero to 10, 10 being best, Connor, what do you give the new Borat okay. movie? I would give the prior Borat movie, 
on eight and a half. Oh, okay. Groundbreaking, incredible, excellent. You just couldn't decide um, between eight and nine. Correct, yeah. Well, I mean, it wasn't as good as a nine, obviously. You know, nine yeah, would be like... It wasn't as bad as an eight. Nine would be like a, a gross point blank uh, oh, or, yeah, or a wonderful. classic. Or, or Lost a, Horizon. Or, a, a, or Dr. Strangelove. Or My Cousin Vinny. Or The Day the Earth Stood Still. Or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, the classics, yeah. right, exactly. Uh, you know, and an eight would be some sort of garbage fire, terrible. So <laughs> it's right in the middle of those two. Uh, so that's Borat that's 1. That's Borat 1. What about Borat 2? This one uh, was, a, was, a, uh, was an appropriate and, and, and good follow-up uh, almost almost as good as one could have expected uh, for a follow-up that was, you know, kind of rushed out the door to get it done uh, during quarantine and then before the election. I know they're under a ton, a ton of pressure to get it out the door. And I, I, I can I, you can sort of see that all painted all over the movie. They, just, they didn't do anything like as much as they, I'm sure, wanted to do. Um, and as a result, it falls a little bit short. I would say six and a half. It's pretty good. Yeah, I thought what it was pretty you? good, too. I'd give six uh, for the new one and, and eight for the old one. Okay. Uh, worth worth seeing. Oh, Sasha definitely worth a watch on Amazon Prime. Yep. All right. Bo- as Connor says, go out and vote safely. Please. And uh, we'll Please see, you next, vote. see you next time on Too Many Lawyers.